Everyone who has participated in the making of this podcast has their own living experience in adoption and or permanency. You may find that adoption stories we talk about evoke strong feelings, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. This is very normal and is to be expected. Take the time you need to listen and reflect. Feel free to take pauses if you like, or even go on a walk to make yourself comfortable. And don't forget to breathe. Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast on adoption stories. I'm Diane Mathis. I'm the Executive Director at the Adoption Council of Ontario, the ACO. I'm also an adult adoptee. Secrecy is woven through everyone's adoption experience in some way. The voices of living experience are really the key to understanding adoption. We had a lovely time talking to some individuals in adoption in podcast three, Dawn and Cindy and Karen and Wendy, all in the same place to do a final podcast looking at some further questions about secrecy in their lives with both Travis Oak and I moderating. And I think we'll let Travis get us rolling. Thanks, Diane. One of the other questions we wanted to address is what are the outcomes of secrecy and adoption for you? And I find it interesting that on this panel, we have counselors, we have advocates, we have people who are connectors in the community to have other people share the same feelings. Cindy, I know you do some writing about the subject as well. Would you like to tell us about that and how that helps you move through? Yes. Yeah, so part of the secrecy, of, of course, and I know we've talked about this, is that fear piece, that fear of telling the secrets and stuff. So uh, I gathered my chutzpah or whatever we want to call it, and I wrote a book about my experience. And I know others here have also done some writing, but it is also a way, I think, to break through those secrecies is to share our stories in different ways. This podcast is one, and there's lots of writings, I think, out there for us to understand. I took my life experiences and put it into the seven core learnings that are out there about adoption. Hopefully it can get out to people that will do some reflecting because I think that's another piece. You know, we have to learn and then we absorb and then we make choices and we move forward with our lives. And my hope is that this is helpful for people to do that. And it is one way. It's, a, it's an outcome of that secrecy. You know, I almost felt like I was, yeah, breaking through the web or however you'd like to say it, sharing my experiences with others. Well, and John, you have done, we've talked about advocacy, we've talked about writing, you've done retreats and groups and all kinds of different sort of art approaches for original parents, adopted parents, adoptees. Is there anything you might want to share about those experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think that I do it for twofold. I do it for myself, but I also do it because I understand the value of having these safe places that we need to connect and to have spaces where we can try out new ideas and learn from one another and share resources 
you know, like Travis mentioned, that sometimes it's hard to know where to even look, especially at the beginning, you know, like what books are good to read, what you're interested in, what is the current theme of something that you're exploring within yourself. And I think doing that kind of work can be really helpful. It got to the point where I needed to go beyond words, that there weren't words for some of my experience. And so I needed to explore visually, trying to capture experiences visually instead of through words. When I was listening to Cindy talking about writing her book, I was thinking about when I did my research for my master's degree. And even though I'd spent like a career, you know, I work in the field of adoption and I I did home studies and, you know, I met lots of kids in foster care and moved kids from foster care into adoptive homes and supported them after the fact and talked about my own story as well. And yet when I started writing about my experience, which I needed to do in my research, because that was the big impetus for me to try to change or influence the field anyways, I think I understand that I might not change it, but maybe I can influence things (laughs) in terms of how the field approaches adoption and permanency and those things, it was still incredibly difficult to put things down on paper that was going to be like an official kind of document. It took a lot more gumption and courage to kind of say, okay, I'm really going to do this and I'm going to put it down in writing where people are going to look at this who don't know me, don't know my story, and they will do with it what what they will. But again, I think it was really important to do that. My experience of secrecy really drove me or fueled me to work to try to influence how, you know, other social workers think about permanency and adoption. And from the perspective of someone who's actually lived it, there's some of us who do that. But there's a lot of people who work in the field who don't have that lived experience. And so I think it's really important that our voices are there so that we can dispel some of those ideas that were put upon us about how adoption was supposed to be. I don't think it's helped any of us. I don't think it's helped adopted people. I don't think it's helped original families, but I don't think it's helped adopted families either. Interesting statement you're making, Dom, when you say how adoption was supposed to be and how it put upon us and sort of told us who we were supposed to be, which omits for everyone in the experience an exploration and way to find out who you're supposed to be authentically, whether it's as an adoptee, as a child, as a youth, as an adoptive parent, as an original parent, your own authenticity can become lost in that. And I think you're saying something really important. And, and, you know, I've heard so many adoptees as they're doing this writing or this finding visuals or reaching out or looking for resources, that fear of of making it public, putting it on paper, because it makes it official. I thought that was interesting that you used the word official. It's like you're claiming it as your truth. Um, Yeah. You know, as a therapist, I've had so many people come back in after an event like that and say, I was up all night. I wondered if I did it right. I wondered if I said it right. I wondered if I wrote it right. It's out there. Like, it's just this franticness that is underneath it. 
sometimes, often, I think, about did I get it right when there is no right way? Because going beyond secrecy is about truth, and it's about that's what's right. But it's really hard to know that when you've had this other messaging. And the cost is pretty high until you develop whatever that backbone behind the gumption or strength within yourself to say, no, this is what's more important. Yeah. And I was surprised at how deeply ingrained it was in, inside of me. You know, and that's, I think, the thing that that can that still can pop up from time to time. You know, I mean, now I, I mean, I've even added my birth father's surname to my official name. But but even that, you know, I've added it but I haven't changed my driver's license yet. I haven't changed my passport yet. <laughs> I need to do all this in, in steps. Yeah. I find it interesting how freeing it can be to tell the secret, even though it's also scary because we don't know how people are going to respond. Uh, but even in, in little things that, that we do that claim the fact that this secret has doesn't have power over me anymore um i just sent a christmas card to my daughter who i was reunited with um, eight years ago and we don't have the same surname but i addressed it to her using my surname so i i, I gave her i claimed that as this isn't a secret she's going to get this letter and the envelope is going to be out maybe at her workplace but it's going to have her surname on it that is ours, not the one that she has. And, and just doing that feels a little scary, but it also feels empowering. Like this has no claim over me. She is mine. And I know she appreciates it. And I think for me, that's something that helps me move past the secrecy, normalizing the fact that this is not a secret. And there is a cost to that. I'm, I'm hearing that over and over that it's sometimes not well received. And you might stay up at night thinking, did I do this right? Did I do it properly? And that's part of unraveling these secrets. It's never a simple process, right? It's complicated. There are many layers to it. There are many layers. And, you know, I wonder as we reflect, an interesting potential ending question here is, what are the benefits to adoption in the adoption system by blowing the lid off the secrecy? It's scary. We know how people react when they get scared, but is it important to talk about what the benefits are? I would say that, you know, I was obviously an adult, so it's a little different. But I think one of the benefits really was that I felt like I was living in my own skin. Mm. So the inside of like how I felt and my external world were aligning. I mean, that's been a huge benefit for me in terms of how just I live my life, how I order my life, the decisions that I make. Everything is different than how it would have been 25, 30 years ago. But I also think that even though it was hard for my adoptive mom and my adoptive dad, although he unfortunately became ill um, and didn't really get to know my birth father very well. Is she really got to know 
me, like really me, not the me that was trying to please her and get her approval all the time because I was afraid that I was going to lose her, but the real me of who I was. And when I think back to when I was a, a child, you know, I think one of the things that makes me feel so sad is the fact that my parents couldn't embrace our family for what it was, which was also pretty cool. You know, that they had to play a charade and they couldn't just feel good about how we became a family and who we were. So I think that we need to talk about it because I think it's so important for our families to embrace all parts of their children and that history piece, as John said, the inside and outsider matching, I think that's so important for our adoptive kids and adoptive parents and families and first families. We have to know each other. It's not mm -hmm. easy because we're forging a whole new way. That doesn't mean it's wrong. I think it just needs to be honest and open and understanding. You know, I, I agree. And I think that when you know your truth as an adoptee, when you know who you are and when you can stand up and say it to the world, I think that you then stand a little taller. And so many adoptees talk about feelings of not being good enough, of not being lovable, of not, you know, all of these things. And when we know who we are and when we know the truth and we can speak that truth without fear that people will look down on us for saying it, that gives us confidence. It gives, makes us feel good about ourselves. And it makes us, I was going to say makes us feel, but makes us recognize that we're the same as everybody else, that we are legitimate. Mm -hmm. And especially as so many of us, many of us of a certain age, were born in a period when this happened to us because we were deemed illegitimate, because our parents were not married. Taking back the truth and standing up and shouting it says, I am legitimate. I am the same as everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I can have pride in who I am and where I come from. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, there there must be some benefits to adoption because being realistic, there will always be children who cannot be raised by their original parents. Sometimes it's because of uh, war or mental illness. Having talked to hundreds of adopted people as adults, they were told that their original parents or mother died in a car accident, and that was false, of course, but the reason could have been good and that's why the people who represented the system told those lies so we do have to take care of children who need homes if as long as it's valid and there's absolutely no force or coercion involved when the parents simply don't deserve that that would be getting back to reality and, and truth and maybe we have to change a few other things along the way like changing people's names you know, children who are conscious and then changing their names and trying to change their identity to suit a new family is not fair they should start off immediately by recognizing 
the trauma that those children have gone through and changing their names is not going to be helpful. That's just one example. Mm -hmm. So by recognizing the reality of adoptees, it's still possible to have a system. Having been a therapist through enough decades that I'm actually now seeing the children I worked with when they were four and five and six be the adults who are now in their 20s, one of the most important pieces to me would be that we never have to use the word reunion again. Yeah, there's children who can't be raised in their original families. Doesn't mean they can't know them. Doesn't mean they can't have a presence in their life. And I've watched so many adoptive parents and original parents get together in reunion and go through horrendous issues and fear. And when they come out the other side of it, four, five, six years later, to say, if we'd only known each other, we could have done this differently. If I'd only understood. You know, I've had so many adoptive mothers who have called me and said, you know what? I'm just going to call her up and we're going to have lunch and we're going to talk. This is crazy that I'm fighting with my daughter. My daughter's half living with her. We're back and forth in these. I'm just going to sit down and talk to her and we're going to figure this out. We're going to open our hearts at least and figure this out. Even if there isn't a real simple, easy answer. If we could bring that kind of approach from the very beginning, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree, but it recognizes the importance of everybody in the picture and that original parents love their children. I've never met an original parent who has said, I don't love my kid. Never met somebody like that. And I've talked to, I don't even want to count how many original parents. And the agonies of reunion are just not necessary if people grow knowing each other. And secrecy has to overlay the whole thing when that's our approach. So I think it could be such a freedom piece within our systems as well, that we just wouldn't have to be providing therapy to mothers and sons and fathers and daughters who are finally trying to have the closeness and the care and the love that they've needed all their lives. And that it doesn't take away, it adds to. It's just so important to be thinking about it. All of your words and your phrases as you answer that question speak to the system is not doing well in this secrecy. Outside of secrecy could be so much more open and heart-based and supportive right from the very beginning. The system is letting us down. Yeah. I'd like to say attending with secrecy is shame. Adopted people are shamed. Their original parents are shamed. And I suppose adoptive parents to some degree are shamed, although I know less about that. But the secrecy and shame are intertwined. And we have to work on both of them with understanding of people's lived experiences. I absolutely agree with you, Karen. And I do believe adoptive parents uh, are shamed because they're told their role is to be the perfect parents and live up to all kinds of things that are both irrational and impossible. And they do it in the isolation of what 
is needed. And of course, they end up in shame. I think when we listen to everything that the panel said, including you, Diane, uh, it just reinforces the need for counselors who understand the adoption galaxy, for advocates, for support groups, for understanding people that you can go to and talk to and they can listen to you, people who are understanding, including things that we write and books that we read and sharing those resources and sharing our stories. The way that over the last three podcasts, the panelists shared their stories often, and people listening to the podcast won't know this, often bring us all to a stopping point where there's almost nothing we can say because there is so much to process. What we've heard is so deep and so powerful that it, it moves us to just sitting here at times. And I think these resources are so important and talking about it is so important because if one person tells their secret, someone else may feel empowered to tell their secret because they see, well, if, you know, if Cindy can function and if, you know, the pain is lessened in dawn and if we're moving through this ourselves, maybe we inspire other people to move through it. But I love listening to the stories and I sit here moved to the point where we finish these podcasts and I need time to myself to reflect and, and to let these emotions move through me that I've I've heard expressed so beautifully by everyone. And before we started these podcasts, I honestly never really thought of the fact that there is so much secrecy in adoption. I, I knew it, but we had I have never named it like this. And listening to the questions and listening to the answers, this is really powerful talking about secrecy and, and moving past the secrecy. You're absolutely right. It is so important to have time to reflect. My husband, who has walked this path with me for just celebrated our 30th, 33rd wedding anniversary, and we were celebrating, sitting, having a glass of wine together. And he said, you know, Diane, I think the reality is that a week is never going to go by where you don't need to reflect and have tears about the lifelong journey of adoption on something. He said, some days it's a minute or two, some days it's, you know, a whole day. But he said, I think that is just your truth. And I was like, yeah, I think he's right. I think he's right. And there's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with me. That just is what it is. And a very close friend of mine once said to me a few years ago, you just feel everything with all of you, Diane. <laughs> That's just the way it is, right? It's just the way it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that ability to be able to say, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just who I am in all of who I am. Well, thank you, Travis, for your lovely reflections, the way that you do hold us in silence and allow us time to ponder and reflect. So appreciated how you moderate this with me and together. I love the experience with you. And of course, a huge thank you to our panelists. You all bring such similar and different things. And what I respect in all of you so much is the words and the clarity, the courage, the creativity, you know, for 
done it it was it just got too painful and for Cindy it had to be writing it and you know for Karen it was I I, I had to say it Wendy talking about you know the reality of knowing you just had to do it some knowing that doesn't even have sort of an explanation like those are such powerful ways of, of saying who you are and how you found your way through that secrecy and I'm so appreciative that you're willing to share that share it with others keep taking those steps whatever the cost is I don't think there's anything any of us in living experience whether it's the four of you Travis myself there's always a need for time for reflection feelings thoughts that come up and that's both what we need and what we have to make space for and respect and honor in our lives so thank you it's such an honor to hear these stories and to be able to ask questions. I feel really privileged to be able to ask questions to the panel and they so willingly share their hearts with us. And that is really a beautiful thing to be a part of. It's difficult at times to moderate and to hear the stories because they resonate with my own experience. It is healing to hear other people's experience and how they've gone through things and I really appreciate our panel's willingness to open up their hearts and share them with us. It's very brave and it's really beautiful. Well, and I think you say something really important about your willingness to moderate it and to know how to manage and work with the feelings that it brings up for you. That's an honor for us to have a moderator who is willing to work in that way. I have my breakdown off camera afterwards. Yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah, I can hold it in. <laughs> as long as it gets its time and space. It does. <laughs> Any final comments from our panelists? I want to thank you, Diane, for your leadership in this initiative. I think it's going to be really powerful, and I think it is going to make a big difference. Thank you. And thank you, everyone else who participated. It's great to be in your company. Thank you to the ACO for being behind this and for inviting us and bringing us together and uh, inviting us to share our stories with each other and with all of you and with them. So thank you. I want to also say thank you to the ACO for being behind this and your leadership, Diane, and your moderation, Travis, and for Wendy and Karen and Cindy you know, I feel like I've known you all because we've kind of been in each other's orbits for a while, but I feel like I know you better. And the experience for me has been very validating. Ditto, I mean, it's just beautiful. Like it's always just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thanks everybody. I just, it is very healing. It's beautiful and yeah, it's been wonderful. This is a new level to be talking at. There's something really important for all of us to be learning our way into with this as well. So thank you. It has been a privilege. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. As we mentioned at the beginning, this might have stirred up some strong feelings for you, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. Please don't hesitate to reach out to the ACO if you'd like to connect with others who understand.